Well, that's an amazing word from God's word delivered to us by our Southwinds Life Group. So they thank you guys for reading God's word to us. You know, we're going to be studying those words of Jesus in just a few moments. But first, let me welcome you to Southwind Church Online. Uh, it is an honor for me to, to come into your home today. And whether you're watching this from your living room or your kitchen or your family room, whether you're watching it by yourself or, or with your family, uh, whether you're watching it on your TV screen or your laptop or your smartphone, however you're here with us, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you again for joining us. And I, I just want to tell you, I believe it's more important for us than ever uh, as believers to gather together during times like these. We may be sheltered in place, uh, but we can thank God for the technology that we have uh, to at least gather in this way. And I want to tell you, I miss you. I can't wait to see you again in person. I am praying, I hope you are too, uh, that we will be able to be together very soon again. I also want to personally thank our worship and tech people for all of their hard work uh, that, that makes these gatherings each week possible. There's a lot uh, going on behind the scenes. So make sure uh, that you express your thanks to these people for their service. Uh, let them know uh, that you're grateful uh, that they're doing this, uh, that make this possible for us. You know, during this time, as part of our Breakthrough Spiritual Initiative, uh, we are focusing in every way we can on serving our communities. And I want to also be thanking today uh, everyone who donated blood for our American Red Cross uh, blood drive this past week. Uh, you made it a, a great success. Thank you for everyone who worked here as a volunteer to staff this place on Thursday and on Friday. And then on top of that, I want to say thank you to all of you who have been serving by sewing masks for our healthcare workers. Uh, we filmed an announcement about this on Thursday, and we told you we had 150 masks done. But now the total is 250 masks delivered, and we anticipate delivering 450 by this coming Tuesday. In addition, this past Friday, we found out of another need, uh, another need to sew masks for first responders and for seniors. There's hundreds and hundreds more that are needed. And so we're going to be needing many more volunteers in the weeks that are ahead of us. So if you'd like to help, please contact Pastor Chris Thielen about this. Uh, today uh, launches Holy Week. And of course, this week culminates next Sunday with Easter Sunday. Uh, we want you to know we're planning a special virtual Good Friday service this coming Friday at 7 p.m. And we'll be getting the information on that out to you this week. So be watching on Facebook or Instagram. Be checking your email and, and we'll let you know more about that um, as we get closer. We're also planning a series of devotionals that we're going to be sharing with you this week each day to help you prepare to celebrate Easter. So start looking for those on Facebook or Instagram and in your email. You know, today is Palm Sunday, and we are in week five of a seven-part series exploring seven statements that Jesus makes about himself in John's Gospels. And I want to encourage you, if you would, right where you are, get your Bibles out. Let's engage with God's Word together this morning. You want to open to John 14. Uh, we're going to be in the first 11 verses of this chapter. And as we do this, today's I Am statement, it might be the most controversial of all of Jesus' statements in our culture today. It's certainly the most offensive and what Jesus says here is often cited by some people as a reason they don't believe. Because Jesus makes an utterly exclusive claim here. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I have explored what this statement means and how this can be true and why we should believe it in depth in other messages. But today I want you to see something even more central to Jesus' original purpose in speaking these words. Jesus' statement is, first of all, a word of comfort to his friends. It's a word of encouragement uh, to people who are going through an incredibly difficult season in their life. And when he speaks these words, Jesus is only hours away from being crucified on a cross, only hours away from his death. These are words given to comfort troubled hearts, words spoken in the final moments before Jesus leaves his closest friends. And so that means as these disciples are hearing Jesus' words, they are grappling with something they do not understand, that somehow their Lord and their master is leaving them. If you look at your Bible, go ahead and do that now. Look at John 14. Jesus says, I am going, or I go four times. He says it in verse 2. He says it in verse 3, in verse 4, and then in verse 12. And so he is telling them over and over again that he's going to die. And they're terrified, they're troubled, they're in despair. That's why Jesus says in John 14, verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. If you have your Bible open, you might turn a page and you might see how this entire section of John's gospel is really about this. Go down the page to John 14, 27, and you'll see that Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then at the end of John 16, verse 33, this is toward the end of this conversation, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. See, this is telling us that these chapters are all about how we can know real peace, all about how our hearts don't have to be troubled. And isn't that what we need right now? Isn't that what we need? See, as we face disease and death and potential economic collapse, all the uncertainty of this moment, we do not need trite cliches. What we need is to hear the very words of the Son of God about ultimate truth and ultimate realities. Friends, I'm going to just tell you, you do not need to be feeding, feeding your mind and your soul with breaking news 24-7. You need to be more than ever feeding your heart on the Word of God, feeding your soul on God's truth, receiving life from the very life of God and, and therefore living in his power and in his strength. And that is really what John uh, is giving us as he records these words in John 14. This chapter that is filled with promises. If you read this entire chapter, you might notice that Jesus just keeps taking us to the Father. In fact, the word Father occurs 22 times in John 14, the most of any chapter in the Bible. You see, this chapter... It's about how you can know the Father. It's about how you can go to the Father's house when you die. 
This chapter is about the power that God offers us as we live today and as we face tomorrow, now that Jesus, the Son, has gone back to his Father. You see, this is all the context for this I am statement, this this conversation that Jesus is having. And if you read this and and you, you pay attention, you'll see in this conversation there are three disciples who ask three different questions. And Jesus responds three times. In John 13, 36, right before the verses we're studying, Peter asked Jesus this question. He says, Lord, where are you going? Because Jesus is, he's saying over and over again, I'm going away, I'm going away. And so Peter says, where are you going? And then Jesus tells Peter, you can't go where I'm going. And he's referring to the cross. But then Jesus says, I will prepare a place for you, Peter. That's where I'm going. In my father's house, you will have a place. That's Jesus' first answer. And then Thomas has a question. He says, Lord, how do we get there to this place where you're going? Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you are going. And Jesus answers that by saying, Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then Philip asks a question in verse 8 of chapter 14. He says, Lord, will you show us the Father? And in the verses following, Jesus responds to that. This is the, the, the dialogue, the conversation that's going on. And we're about to enter into this. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about to leave them. He's about to go to his Father. And so he's telling them this. He's talking to them about heaven. He's telling them how they can get to heaven. And he's telling them how they can live in the meantime, before they go to heaven. So this verse we just read, John 14, verse 1, really sets the tone for this entire chapter. And keep in mind that Jesus is giving his disciples a command. He says, stop being troubled and believe in me. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I want to point something out about this entire conversation that's very striking don't miss that Jesus is the one who's giving this word and he's giving it within hours of his own death. Jesus is the one who should be comforted, but he's comforting others. He's thinking about others. That's our Savior. That's our Lord. And we know that Jesus himself is troubled. Again, look to this this, uh, section of John's gospel. You turn back a page or two in chapter 12, verse 27. John tells us that Jesus, as he contemplated the hour that was coming, that his soul was troubled. And then in John 13, 21, John says that Jesus was deeply troubled as he, he thinks and talks about Judas' betrayal. But now, though he's about to be crucified, though his heart and soul are troubled, he's thinking about his friend's troubles. See, this tells us so much about the love of our Lord, about how much he cares for us, even now in this moment. See, all the way to his death, Jesus has others on his mind. And and friend, you're still on his mind. So he tells his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Well, think about them. Why were they so afraid? Well, they were obviously afraid because Jesus was going away. He had been uh, their master and savior. He had been with him for three years. But they're also troubled because of something that Jesus has just said to Peter. If you look at chapter 13, verse 38, Jesus had just told Peter, you're going to deny me. And you can only imagine what was going through their minds. I mean, what was going to happen? I mean, what kind of cataclysmic event would cause Peter? I mean, he's their leader. What would cause Peter to deny Jesus? 
they're freaked out about the future. They don't know what's coming. And we can identify with this right now, can't we? This world is always full of trouble, but we are facing trouble exponentially at this moment. We are facing health troubles, the possibility of disease, even death. We are facing economic troubles, wondering what is going to happen to our jobs, what's going to happen to the economy. Many of us are facing personal troubles. Some of us are are dealing with intensifying problems at home, and it's maybe related to the coronavirus crisis. Maybe it's been heightened by social distancing. Maybe you're You're experiencing some trouble because of all the time you're spending together. We're troubled about our parents, some of us. Others of us are troubled about our kids. And you also may be facing spiritual trouble. For some of you right now, maybe the most pressing issue is you have been rebelling against God. You've been walking away from God. You've been living in disobedience to God. And now you're dealing with the consequences of that. You're experiencing this time And it feels like God is very far from you. Maybe what you need to do right now is repent. You know, ask God to forgive your sins, to forgive your disobedience. Get back into fellowship with God. But you know, the Bible is so clear that uh, even obeying God doesn't spare us from trouble. In fact, in, in Acts 14, 22, the apostle Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so this is really the question that is about uh, this passage here. What should we do when our hearts are troubled? Look again at John 14, verse 1, where Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Now, the idea here in the Greek text is stop being troubled. You're troubled right now. Jesus says, stop put a stop to it. He says, instead of being troubled, trust. He says, trust in God. Trust also in me. In other words, don't hold on to your trouble, but give your trouble to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. And I I love the way that Jesus talks about our hearts here. Do Do you see this? He is telling us something very important, and some of you really need to hear this. In fact, this may be the word that God wants to speak to you most today. He's telling us that we are not slaves to our hearts. We're not slaves to our emotions. You know, our emotions are very, very powerful, but we are not slaves to them. We are not slaves to our anxieties. We're not slaves to our struggles. We can lead our hearts. And Jesus is saying we need to take charge of our emotions. And he's saying we do that by trusting in God, by trusting in Jesus you see, we, we will always have fear and anxiety when we face anything bigger than us and, and we try to handle it by ourselves. It's because it's beyond us. It's bigger than us. And so we're anxious. We're, we're afraid. But when we face something bigger than we are and we trust in God, we know that God is bigger than our problem. And so therefore we can have peace. Some of your translations say, believe in me instead of trust in me. I was thinking this week, you know, belief is really popular today. People are always telling us to believe. But have you noticed it's mostly uh, believing in belief? You just got to believe. It's a belief without an object of belief. It's a 
a faith with no specific focus. And a lot of people say it doesn't really matter what you believe in. You just got to believe. Maybe you've, you've seen the Nike commercials, which say, believe in something, even if it costs you everything. Believe in something. Doesn't matter. It's all the same. Just believe. But I want you to see that's not what Jesus tells us. Believe, the belief Jesus speaks about, biblical faith always has an object. And you need to remember right now that the object of your faith is more important than the degree of your faith. And that truth should encourage you. You know why? That means that peace is not up to the level of your faith. It's not up to you. Don't focus on how strong your faith is. Focus on how strong Jesus is. That's what we're being told here. What makes saving faith saving faith is the object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. See, biblical faith is a focused faith. It's focused on Jesus. Jesus never says, believe in something, even if it costs you everything. Jesus says, believe in me, trust in me, because Jesus only is the, the sure and true focus of our faith. Maybe you're wondering right now, as you're thinking about this, how does Jesus help me with my troubled heart? Well, the answer simply is he gives me himself. Jesus gives me himself. Jesus himself in his person, he is the answer to my anxieties. He is the help my troubled heart needs. So trust in God, trust in the living Christ, trust in the saving Christ. Now, the rest of these verses, as we go through them, you're going to see this. They, they give us reasons why we should trust Jesus. And you're going to notice Jesus lifts our eyes to heaven. He lifts our hearts to heaven. He tells us that if you can understand the truth that he's giving us here, then you can get through your trouble on earth. So there are, are three encouraging words uh, that Jesus gives to, to troubled Christ followers here. Uh, before returning to heaven, Jesus tells his disciples how to get there to heaven, what to anticipate, and how to live in the meantime. It's all here in these three verses. Or you could put it this way. Jesus gives us the promise of heaven, the path to heaven, and he assures us of power from heaven. So heaven and how to get here, to get there, and how to live in the meantime. First, first Jesus says, I trust in the promise of heaven. Look at verse two. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. I love how the New Living Translation uh, renders this. It says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. More than enough room. So why does, why does Jesus say the disciples should not be troubled. And the first reason he gives is that he, he, his leaving, his departure is purposeful. He's going to do something. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place in heaven for my disciples. I love how Jesus explains heaven. He calls it my father's house. In other words, you're going home. You're going home. That's what happens when a Christian dies. They, they go home. It's not a hotel, it's a home. It's not a hospital, it's a home. And praise God for that. 
if you ponder this phrase, my father's house, I think it indicates two things to us. First of all, it's a permanent dwelling, a permanent dwelling. And then, love this, it's also just for God's children. Jesus says there are many rooms there. Some of our older translations, you probably have heard this before, say many mansions, but that that implies an incorrect idea. The picture is not of some extravagant residence. There's nothing that is said here of the nature of this heavenly home. The idea isn't that, you know, if you didn't get a mansion in Malibu or or a lake home at Tahoe, that you're going to get one in heaven. What Jesus is emphasizing is that you have a place there. Many dwelling places, more than enough room for everyone, for all of God's children. In ancient Israel, homes were literally built with rooms being added as more family members were brought in for, so that each part of this extended family could have a dwelling place. And that's the idea. We're going to our father's house and he has a place, a permanent residence for us. And he, he has a place for all of God's children. There are so many practical present day implications for this. Uh, This just reminds us of how temporary all of our homes are right now. And it doesn't matter how nice your home is. I'm I'm grateful to live in a nice home. It doesn't matter how new or how updated or how remodeled your home is. I mean, this place, this earth, friends, please, do you see this, especially right now? This place is not our home. It's not our home. Hebrews 13 says, for we have here, no lasting city. We seek the city to come. See, our permanent home, our home in heaven, that's our permanent, eternal residence. And, and what this does for us is incredible. Do you see it? Do you see how this sets us free? I mean, our citizenship is in heaven. And it reminds us that we can, we can hold loosely to all the stuff we have on this earth. You know, sometimes I hear people say uh, this statement, you've heard it before, that, that someone was so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. And I want to just tell you, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. We are called as Christ followers to be heavenly minded. And it's really only when we are heavenly minded that we live a life now of meaning and purpose. It's only then that we are generous and sacrificial, that we are willing to do what God calls us to do, that we are willing to go where God calls us to go. It's only when we're heavenly minded. You see, the real problem really is this. Far too many people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. People who love Jesus live for another world. That's their ultimate perspective. I love these words that C.S. Lewis wrote. They're so profound. Listen to this quote. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built up the Middle Ages. The English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. 
It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. And that's a great quote. One of the things I would encourage you to do, especially during this time, is what the old Puritan pastor Richard Baxter did. He lived until he was 76 and he lived with uh, an incredible amount of unrelenting suffering. Someone once asked Baxter, given all your sufferings, how have you managed to be so productive and faithful all these years? And here's how he responded. He said, I think about heaven at least 30 minutes every day. Every day. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. How is he going to prepare it? Now, I don't think we should imagine Jesus up in heaven hammering golden two-by-fours right now, leading this massive task force of heavenly carpenters building heaven. What Jesus is saying is actually this. What he's doing to prepare a place is he's going to the cross. That's how he prepared a place for us, by dying and raising from the dead and ascending to the Father Every barrier between us and heaven was broken down. That's how Jesus prepared a place. And then he said, I'm going to come back. And that's what the next verse, verse 3, is about. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Jesus is the bridegroom, and he will come back for his bride, and he will take us to be with himself. That's the focus of heaven, being with Jesus. Now, we studied heaven together uh, as a church family last fall, and you'll remember that's not all heaven is, of course. There's going to be reunion with our loved ones. There's going to be this new creation for us to explore and enjoy. But it's interesting when you look at it, many versions of heaven that many modern people have, they, they don't include Jesus, and that's a problem. We talked about this some when we explored heaven in depth last fall. Maybe you remember some of these examples in that movie, Field of Dreams. You remember someone asking the question, is this heaven? And someone said, no, it's Iowa. And they were talking like baseball, playing the game of baseball, which I love. Like baseball is heaven. Well, baseball is awesome, but baseball is not heaven. And maybe you remember the song that Hank Williams sang when he said, if heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Well, There's all kinds of problems with that. See, the hope of heaven is that we are going home to the Father's house to be with Jesus. And we should not imagine heaven without heaven's Lord. So that's the promise of heaven. The second encouraging word is this. I I trust in the path to heaven This conversation Jesus is having with his disciples shifts from what it's going to be like to now, how do we get there? And in verse four, Jesus says this. He says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And you have to love Thomas's response in verse five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? I was thinking this is a minor miracle, a man asking for directions. And all of the the women out there are saying amen right now. I can hear it. I'm glad he asked the question because if he hadn't asked it, maybe we wouldn't have gotten verse six. 
And verse 6 really does summarize the entire gospel of John in, in so many ways. And what I want you to see in the flow of this text is that Jesus makes this claim in verse 6. And then he's going to back that claim up, ground that claim in verses 7 through 11. He's going to explain why he says what he says in verse 6 in those verses. Here it is. John 14, verse 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's so simple, so straightforward. Jesus is going to the Father. So how do we get there? How do you get to heaven? And the answer is, it's in the Son. You come through Jesus Christ. Now the emphasis here is on the way, since that's the question that that Philip has asked. Maybe you'll recall that early followers of Christ Uh, They were said to be followers of the way. We see that in the book of Acts. That's what we are. We're followers of the way. It's reminding us that access to the Father and his presence in heaven only comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. I want you to notice this doesn't say that Christianity is the way. Jesus says, I am the way. This is not making a claim about a religious system. This is about commitment to a person. And we can commit ourselves to Jesus as the way because Jesus has made a way to the Father. Jesus is the way because he has made a way through his death and his resurrection. You know, the truth is, referring back to that phrase, when Jesus said that he was repairing a place for us, he didn't mean construction in heaven. He meant crucifixion on a cross. Jesus opened the way to the Father through his sacrifice. That's why he is the way. And Jesus is the truth. That tells us that it is only in Jesus that we find the ultimate final truth that we need to live. And we find that truth in him, in who he is as God's only perfect son. And then Jesus is the life tells us that Jesus not only provides us life eternal, but that he himself is that life. And we believe this is true because he, by his indestructible life, conquered death forever on Easter. Now, as much as we rejoice in this truth and as clear really and as straightforward as it is, uh, again, we know that there are few verses as offensive as this to our culture of pluralism today. And so as you interact with people, if you haven't gotten this question, you will one day, you're going to have someone ask you, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? So what do you say to that? Well, there's more than we can cover today, but let me give you two responses that you can give to someone from this text. The first answer is that you can say, yes, I do believe that because Jesus said he was the only way. In other words, this is not our claim. It's not my claim. It's not your claim. It's Jesus' claim. Jesus is the one who says it. A pastor I know had a little girl in his church say to him one Sunday, hey, I know you. You're the reporter. That's pretty good. That's what every pastor should be trying to do. I'm not up here inventing the news. I'm just reporting. I'm just reporting and so really, if someone doesn't like this claim that Jesus made, this, this, this claim that Jesus makes, this exclusive claim, then we really should 
gently tell them, you have to take it up with Jesus because he's the one who said it. And as followers of his, we're, we're just saying what he said. I want you also to notice here that these are exclusive words. Jesus declares he's the only way to God, the only way to heaven, but they are also at the same time absolutely inclusive words because the truth is anyone can come, no exceptions. Anyone can respond to the gospel. The gospel is inclusive in its offer. It's offered to everyone. Salvation in Jesus is freely offered to anyone who will receive it. So if someone asks you, do you think Jesus is the only way to heaven? You might answer, well, I think Jesus did. And, and, and so I'm with Jesus because I follow him. And I want to encourage you with this. We, we can't deny the words of Jesus because to deny what he says here is to deny Jesus himself. And, and by the way, it's not doing anyone any good to cower on this. To believe that you can get to heaven other than through the man who came from heaven is an exercise in futility. It will only lead someone to despair. So I want to encourage you, trust in Christ's words. You know, really, what should stun us is not that Jesus is the only way to heaven. What should put us on our faces in humility and in gratitude is that there is even a way to heaven. Praise God. He told us there is a way to heaven. And you know, if you're here today and you have never been told that, we want you to hear and see that invitation. Jesus comes to every troubled heart and Jesus says, I am the way. Come to me. Come. Now, the second reason we believe this statement is not just because Jesus said it, but it's also because of who Jesus is. And when Philip raises the next issue when he says, Jesus, show us the Father. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus basically says that he is the unique Son of God. And that's the second reason. Jesus is the unique Son of God. Now, Jesus has claimed this, and behind this claim that he makes is his own person. It's his unique identity that only the divine Son can take us to the Father. And if you stop to think about it, that just makes sense. Only the one who came from heaven can take people to heaven. So this exclusive claim is grounded in Jesus' unique identity and in Jesus' unique relationship with his Father. Now, Philip asks a question, and Jesus kind of gives him a, a mild rebuke here. And I just want to point out, this should encourage all of us to be willing and free to ask questions. Don't think you're crazy for asking questions if you don't understand something. It's okay. When we don't understand, we're just in the same company as Jesus' disciples. And so Philip raises this issue, and now we have what Jesus says about his own character. He says to, to Philip, have I been with you so long you still don't know me, Philip? That's what verse 8 says. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. As if Jesus hadn't shown him enough. He, he still wants more. It's, it's like Philip is saying, Jesus, you know, we've seen you turn water into wine. We've seen you walk on the water. We've seen you feed thousands of people with one little boy's sack lunch. We've seen you raise the dead. We've seen you give sight to blind eyes. But we need one more thing. We need one more thing. 
peel back the veil and let us see the face of God. And do this, we'll be satisfied. In verse 9, it says, Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you see why I'm saying there's the claim that Jesus makes, but now here's the person of Jesus that is emphasized. See, when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, there's no one else in history who can say that. No other religious leader, no other religious guru can say that. He is in a category by himself when he says the kinds of things that he says here in John 14. See, this is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In verse 10, Jesus says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. See, this is what we see all through John's gospel. It is Jesus' words and Jesus' works that affirm his identity. Listen to his words. Look at his works. They testify that he is the unique son of God in the category all by himself. And so when he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. See, we understand that it's because there is no one else in the category besides Jesus Christ. He stands alone, one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. Now that leads us to the third truth. Jesus gives us power from heaven. You can write this down if you're taking notes. I, I trust in God's power for life today. Uh, this comes from verses 12 through 14, which begins this section where Jesus starts unfolding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the richest sections in all of the New Testament. Let me read these three verses. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. We don't have the time today to dive deeply into this, but I want to encourage you as you, you spend time personally with God during this week that's ahead, as you gather virtually with your life groups, and you know hundreds of you at Southwinds are doing just that, I want to encourage you to think about what it means to have God's Holy Spirit living inside us. Think about what it means for Jesus to say that we, his disciples, will do even greater things than these. Think about what it means that Jesus promises us, as he does here, that he will answer prayer, that he will do whatever we ask in his name. He's giving us the power, friends, we need to live right now. He's giving us the power we need to live in days like these. We do not have to live underneath all of what is happening around us. We can walk through this with Jesus, the, the Lord who never leaves us, who never forsakes us. He's with us. He's in us. He is taking us to heaven eternally. 
we can trust him. So friends, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. Whatever happens in the days that are ahead of us, we can live with confidence that Jesus, the Son of God, he's going to take us through. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray and close this time? Father, we are grateful that you are our Father who loved us so much you sent us your Son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to find peace in Jesus as we live these days. He is our Savior. He is our Lord forever. And may he be our way, our truth, and our life. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. And everybody, wherever you are, says, Amen. Amen. I'm going to thank you for worshiping with us today. I'm going to look forward to gathering with you next week as we together celebrate Easter Sunday. It's going to be a great day. I'm going to leave you as we close this service with a blessing from the Word of God. It's found in Romans 15, verse 13. Here's what God's Word says. I hope you will receive this as God's Word to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's speaking to us today, friends. He has spoken. Let's hear his word. Let's live his word. Have a great week. I'll see you Easter Sunday.